Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. It is April. It is budget season at both the state and the city levels. We have been breaking down a lot leading up to a state budget deal, which came in late, needed a budget extender to help the state pay its bills. But a deal came together, and we now have a lot to discuss about that. And that's what we're continuing to dig into here on today's show. In just a moment, I'll be joined by two New York State senators representing parts of Brooklyn, Julia Salazar and Jabari Brisport. Welcome them back to the show after uh, quite a while since we've spoken with them, but we'll be good to catch up with them and get their reactions to the state budget deal, how they voted, including some no votes on a few of the budget bills and why, and what's coming up in the legislative session that will run until somewhere around early June. These legislators and all of the rest of the legislature, as well as statewide office holders and others, are on the ballot this year. There's primaries coming up in June and the general election in the fall, of course. And we are going to talk with State Senators Salazar and Brisport, of course, about the news of the day, two major stories occurring yesterday. We are talking here on Wednesday, April 13th, 2022, the day after we saw the terrible subway shooting in Brooklyn, and we saw the resignation of Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin, a former state senator. Uh, And so we're going to talk with both senators about those big events of yesterday and then get into the state budget and what's coming up in the state legislative session. So my conversation with state senators Julia Salazar and Jabari Brisport in just one moment. If you have missed any of our recent reporting, I direct you to GothamGazette.com. You can find a lot of our coverage on city and state politics and government there. We've been uh, identifying a lot of important and interesting storylines that you often can't find anywhere else. Uh, so check us out at GothamGazette.com. Here on Max Politics, if you've missed any recent episodes of the show, you can find them all wherever you get your podcast. And we also have them all at the Gotham Gazette website. As I said, in recent weeks and months, we've really been focusing on budget season, especially at the state level. I've been joined by a a few different state senators, including uh, State Senator Gustavo Rivera of the Bronx, State Senate Minority Leader Rob Ort, who's an upstate Republican, uh, leading that conference in the state Senate to get the minority party point of view as a budget was coming together. And I've had a variety of other really interesting guests, elected officials, advocates, and others uh, at the city level recently spoke with New York City Council Finance Chair Justin Brannon, a Brooklyn Democrat who chairs that important committee in the city council. The city council just put out its response to Mayor Eric Adams's preliminary budget. Now that we have a state budget, that will very much impact the city budget process that is ongoing until the deadline for a new city budget is July 1st. We don't expect that one to be late. It really can't be. Uh, So uh, there's a lot going on at the city level now to digest the state budget and move ahead with city budget season. And of course, that's not just a bunch of numbers. That is uh, funding for many, many important programs and essential services. It's decisions about how Uh, public money is being spent and on what. And there is also policy involved, of course, especially at the state level. A lot of policy gets baked into the budget, and we'll be talking about that here today. All right, let's bring on our guests here. Uh, State Senator Julia Salazar uh, is the chair in the Senate of the Committee on Crime and Correction. She represents District 18 in Brooklyn. That includes neighborhoods of Bushwick, Cypress Hills, Greenpoint, and Williamsburg, parts of Bed-Stuy, Brownsville, and East New York. 
I'm also joined here today by State Senator Jabari Brisport, who chairs the Committee on Children and Families in the State Senate and represents District 25, also in Brooklyn. Uh, that includes neighborhoods of Fort Greene, Bormhill, Red Hook, Bed-Stuy, Sunset Park, Gowanus, and Park Slope. Senators Brisport and Salazar, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for having thanks us, Ben. Um, so as I said, we're talking here on the day after uh, this awful, tragic, uh, horrific shooting in the subway in Brooklyn. We're talking the day after uh, a, a different, very different kind of, of, of tragic event, which is the downfall of Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin, who was um, charged with federal corruption crimes and then resigned his office yesterday. Uh, so we're speaking here on Wednesday, April 13th, 2022. So I want to get your reactions to both of those events of yesterday. And then, of course, talk about uh, the, the recently passed state budget that you're both uh, intimately involved with and, and what's coming up. Um, Senator Brisport, the subway station where the shooting occurred in, in Brooklyn is is right around the border of your district. And you went down to the scene um, obviously, uh, people have been sort of glued to the news and, and, and know the gist of the details and, and what things look like. But any sort of other reactions from you from being at the scene and, and sort of how you're thinking about the, the aftermath of this and what, you know, your community and this Brooklyn community and the larger city needs coming coming out of this event? <laughs> Yeah, so um, this uh, this train station is is part of um, my district in in the Sunset Park section, and you know this is still ongoing. Um, the the facts continue to to unfold, um, and you know I'm getting updates just like everyone else from the precincts and you know and the media, and um, I, I would say definitely you know I want to acknowledge that people are are very scared right now. Um, that you know that they're they're wondering you know. You know, how could this happen? You know, um, could, could it happen again? Could it happen again? Um, and, you know, as a legislator, I always seek to, you know, think in terms of like prevention and how do we, you know, stop these things before they happen. Uh, I know there have been different uh, calls. I, I know the, the mayor is, you know, calling to add additional um, police to, to the subway. Um, I, I I don't I don't see how we can, you know, police our way out of this. Um, you know, there, there, you know, there, there are stories coming out of, you know, police, uh, a police officer, you know, coming there and, and, um, you know, saying his, his radio was broken and asking people to, to call 911. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, like, you know, the, the camera may be broken in that, in that train station. So in terms of, you know, the, the priorities, it's like, what is the physical infrastructure we could use to bolster in, in our subways to make them, um, both be more safe and feel more safe. Mm-hmm. Senator Salazar, uh, again, you know, as, as state legislators here, um, you know, very often this is obviously these these types of, you know, immediate reactions are up to the executives and they're up to the, you know, uh, city and state departments and even federal. Um, but as you sort of take this in, how, how do you think about ways to prevent things like this, ways in which legislators should or shouldn't react to events like this. Um, This ties into safety on the subway, of course, but it's very different than the kinds of conversations we've been having lately. A lot of debates, you know, as we've seen um, some crimes increase in the subway and above ground, um, but it's obviously tied into how people are thinking about safety, feeling about safety, but how are you thinking about this? 
I really, uh, I mean, first of all, it was a, a terrible attack, um, really vicious, and it could have been pretty catastrophic and uh, and deadly. And thankfully, it was not deadly, thanks to a lot of New Yorkers who were present um, acting heroically and MTA transit workers acting heroically to respond quickly. Uh, we as of as of now, um, everyone who was physically impacted uh, by the attack is uh, expected to fully recover, which is really remarkable. Um, and in the meantime, there were thousands of police officers in our subway system yesterday and, and yesterday morning when the attack happened. Um, but obviously that wasn't successful in preventing the attack. And additionally, the person of interest um, in this case has not even been apprehended. Uh, we learned that the cameras in three different stations um, that were relevant in the attack the camera system wasn't working, um, according to the mayor's office. That is really disconcerting. Uh, my initial thoughts are that we really need to make sure that our transit system is fully functioning um, and, and make sure that um, that cameras in the system are, are operational. It's really disconcerting, uh, really makes you question you know, if they're not operating in in three stations where uh, they check the cameras to see if if they could investigate the attack through camera footage, um, the fact that they weren't even operating, it makes you wonder, you know, how and how many stations are the cameras actually functional um, and and the other you know, things that that need to be functioning in, in the subway stations. Um, it, I think it, it is relevant to public safety, given how many New Yorkers rely on public transit every day. Um, so I, I'm really thinking about how we can make sure that the MTA is well resourced um, and address those issues first. Beyond. Um you know, what, what New York City, New York State, the MTA, which is a, obviously a state authority, but works closely with the city and, and has, you know, a somewhat complicated governing structure, but whatever those decisions are made and, and um, efforts to make sure that infrastructure that's there is working, is enhanced and so forth. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're obviously talking here about this larger atmosphere of fear um, of, of, you know, concerns about um, public safety generally, as I said, above ground, below ground. There's also lots of uh, things, you know, in some ways being blown out of proportion in terms of, you know, how safe New York City overall is and isn't. Um, uh, events like this obviously are, uh, you know, going to sort of rock the city in a way that is is very different than some of the other discussions that, that we've been having. Um, uh, are there measures to take in the state legislature around, you know, public safety that you're thinking about? Um, you're both progressive Democrats, socialist Democrats. Um, you, you know, you tend as as you both got at at least a little bit, you know, to to look at different answers for public safety than things like more police presence and so forth. 
Are there things just even even before this incident that you've been working on, thinking about that would create more public safety in New York City that you want to highlight for for people listening? Senator Bridgeport, why don't we come back to you first? But um, when you've been looking at the public safety issues in the city, um, how are you thinking about creating a, a safer city in the more immediate term, right? When we hear from Mayor Eric Adams, we often hear him talk about sort of immediate uh, intervention and medium to long-term prevention and and that that has to all go together. And a lot of times, um, you know, he's sort of challenging people who are on uh, the left of him, like yourselves, about, well, what do you want to do sort of immediately to to stem these problems? What, what, do, what do you say about that? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, uh, after Governor Hochul released her 10-point plan um, for, for public safety, the, uh, the BPHA caucus in the state legislature released a um, competing um, uh, a counter 10-point plan for public safety, which uh, included a variety of points in the immediate, medium, long-term, immediate ones being, you know, investing into more diversionary uh, programs for people who are, you know, awaiting awaiting trial, um, more medium-term things like, well, actually, this could be considered immediate, but getting uh, more money directly into uh, programs for cure violence and snug programs to get more credible messengers um, and uh, mentorship on the streets. Um, and then also, you know, investing in our youth, you know, more medium solutions like after school programs, jobs programs for um, for a youth. Mm -hmm. Senator Salazar, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, we need to expand violence interruption programs, um, investing in, in youth programs, and that could mean um, sports programs, uh, making sure that there are community centers and uh, public places where young people can can spend time and that are edifying for them. Um, we really need to improve uh, mental health services and access to quality mental health care um, in in communities like those that Senator Brisport and I represent um, and also other parts of the state where we've seen a loss of uh, mental health beds um, and, and just a, a loss of um, really comprehensive mental health services. Um, you know, these are all things that we know are directly related to public safety, uh, but we didn't see the same emphasis or even nearly the same emphasis on addressing public safety through those mechanisms in this state budget as we saw on making changes to uh, the bail law, uh, discovery reform and um, and even raise the age. So we'll come back to the state budget in just a minute. But as I said in the introduction, also happening yesterday, Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin um, uh, indicted on federal corruption charges related to using his office to provide a, a state grant to uh, a donor who he was involved with allegedly uh, on a straw donor scheme and, and and some other issues and then looking to sort of cover up the relationship and some of the things that are alleged again in the indictment. Uh, we will see how this plays out in the courts. Uh, but uh, after turning himself in to, to these charges, um, the lieutenant governor resigned. Uh, the governor announced in the afternoon that she had accepted his resignation. So um, uh, I want to get each of your reactions is obviously um, 
uh, a terrible, you know, apparent uh, alleged breach of the public trust. It's also, again, a very sad story about, um, you know, someone who's who's widely respected and liked in, in Brian Benjamin, who has two young kids. I mean, this is a very, you know, sad story in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but, um, but Senator Salazar, when when this wasn't a surprise, right? Because there were stories about investigations. There had been issues around this straw donor possibility to his controller campaign last year. This was all sort of in the atmosphere. But um, anytime you know a, a lawmaker is then uh, charged with these types of crimes, it's, it's a big jolt. Um, your reaction, and and in, and again on this, any any ways in which you think about how it ties to you know legislative duties and what you're trying to do in state government. Yeah, uh, I think it's certainly relevant to the need for ethics reform at the state level in New York. Uh, right now, our um, ethics body is JCO, and uh, a lot of people, uh, I think, rightfully criticize JCO, um, which has has largely been considered um, a something for the governor to use um, to to either uh, escape accountability or protect people who the governor, you know, has a, a, a political relationship with. Um, there were efforts in the state budget to change the um, the the public ethics system in in New York State. Um, but in my opinion, it really fell short um, in, in that I don't think it's creating a truly independent um, ethics body that would be able to hopefully prevent incidents like um, what we are seeing right now with the lieutenant governor. Um, so I think it was a missed opportunity, but we have additional opportunities and we just have to um, continue to advocate and work um, as legislators to uh, try to actually bring um, independence um, to this new ethics body and um, and make sure that elected officials, all elected officials are actually held accountable. Uh, we'll come to you in a second, Senator Brisport, but Senator Salazar, one of the one of the issues at play here was discretionary grants, right? Basically the, you know, the opportunity, and we've seen this come up in a variety of ways before, the opportunity for legislators to to direct grants to nonprofits that they they want them to go to, right? Uh, lots of very valuable work gets funded this way, uh, but we also see ways in which, you know, these types of discretionary um, actions, and again, he had to go through a process. It wasn't just, you know, State Senator Brian Benjamin could, you know, write a check, although that happens sometimes, you know, more or less through um, certain government offices. But um, is there anything that this highlights for you in terms of the way that process works in your experience? Are there problems with that or is or is it actually it's kind of good for legislators to be able to help direct money in their districts? They just, you know, people have to do it ethically and there have to be good ethics watchdogs. You know, any anything sort of highlighted that's wrong with the system, in your view, from this? 
I do think of it more as the latter, that it is generally a good thing for legislators who who know our districts well um, on a hyper local level, uh, know the needs of our communities to be able to um, direct funding where it is needed most. However, um, we need account like true, true accountability um, and enforcement when um, there is a conflict of interest or suspicion or, or even the appearance of corruption or the misuse of funds um, like, you know, what what is alleged in, in this case with the lieutenant governor from the time when he was a state senator. Uh, but I think generally um, it's it's good for us to have discretionary funds. On the other hand, uh, I think that legislators have an obligation. We should always have an obligation to be as specific as possible um, in terms of how public funds are being used. Uh, and that's something that that also came up in, in this budget process as we're reviewing in the final hours um, budget bills and just getting the language hours before voting uh, and seeing certain items in the budget that sort of resemble slush funds or, you know, are, are not sufficiently detailed um, when it comes to spending public money. Mm. Senator Brisport, your your reactions to um, state uh, to former state senator and, and Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin um, resigning and the and the issues at play. Yeah, I mean, I would echo some things my colleague, you know, Senator Salazar said. Just the need for uh, Jacob reform and truly independent body. It's, it's definitely disappointing. Um, I, I I do want to continue to watch how it plays out. You know, I just spent three, three weeks arguing with moderates and conservatives about uh, over bail rollbacks and, you know, the notion of innocent until proven guilty. And, you know, I don't want to presume guilt in, in, in this case, but it is actually, it's, it's very disappointing. And, you know, when, when things like these happen, it, it not only looks bad for for Brian Benjamin specifically, but it, it, it casts a shadow over the entire legislature. You know, right. the people government is corrupt, feel vindicated by this. Um, and then, you know, you know, just regarding our, our, our in-district money, I, I do believe in, you know, building more transparent processes. Um, you know, just want to echo what Senator Salazar said, that the governor snuck in a, you know, $350 million slush fund um, into the, the budget at the, at the last moment. Um, and, uh, you know, it is important that, you know, everyday New York, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it is important that the public knows, like, how money is 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 spent and, and where it goes. You know, I have constituent, constituents all the time. They don't understand how money comes from Albany. They were like, uh, my former senator gave me this, Lewin gave me this, um, Albany gave me this, um, the Brooklyn gave me this. And I'm, I'm like, what do you mean Brooklyn gave you this? Right. So, so I think there's a lot of confusion over it. In general, it needs to be more more transparent. Well, on that front, uh, one uh, at least partial uh, positive in the in the state budget deal is is uh, something of a what's called the database of deals of of the government being more transparent about economic development deals. Obviously, that came as um, this Long Island, uh, as you say, slush fund was being uh, approved, as well as the Buffalo Bill Stadium subsidy. Um, so uh, some of these things, obviously, trade-offs of sorts um, that come together in these big packages that, as you said, uh, often are not 
anywhere near fully reviewed before they're they're voted through. Um, all right, there, there's so much more to discuss there, but let's talk about the state budget in the upcoming legislative session uh, that's, that's about to start. And it's going to be very brief because it is also uh, happening concurrently with this election cycle. Um, so let, let's at least start for, with each of you with sort of one big positive from the state budget and one thing you're really, you know, disappointed on. And if you need to sneak in a second on either front, you know, uh, take your take your privilege in that in that front. But Senator Salazar, um, $220 billion budget, so much in terms of funding, lots of policy. We're not going to get to it all. But but what do you um, want to highlight for for New Yorkers, something you're proud of, you're happy about and something that you're frustrated by? Uh, go ahead. Yeah, some of the things that I am proud of in this budget are also at the same time inadequate from our perspective. Uh, one of those is we were really fighting for fair pay for home care to robustly increase the minimum wages for home care workers across the state who really are paid poverty wages in, in general. Um, and we did see where we were able to secure, thanks to uh, the the leadership of the legislature, it was not in the executive budget, any um, you know, pay increases. There were bonuses for home care workers uh, included in the executive budget, but um, it was actually through the advocacy of both houses of the legislature that we were able to secure uh, permanent minimum wage pay increases for home care workers. Uh, I uh, really feel that we need to increase uh, wages for home care workers much more substantially. Uh, we'll see a $3 minimum wage, uh, $3 an hour minimum wage increase um, for home care workers over the next two years as a result of the budget. And while that is great, um, it, I think we're really going to need to see a much bigger investment in our home care workforce in the immediate future uh, in, in order to meet the demands of what is really becoming a, um, a long term care and home care crisis in New York. Mm. Uh, as is the case, I think, for both of you on a number of fronts, that's that's, you know, something that you're pleased to see, but not going quite as far as as you want. Uh, Senator Brisport, um, I don't know if this is what you want to choose, but you've obviously been very focused on child care um, in your tenure. As I mentioned, you chair the, the Children and Families uh, Committee. Um, is, is that the one you want to highlight or uh, you want to speak about that and then and then something else? Go ahead. Uh Sure. Uh, way, way to lock me in, Ben. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, no, go elsewhere. Uh, we can come back to child care. Well, let me, let me give a, a quick shout out to the um, the transgender and gender nonconforming uh, wellness and equity fund, which is just uh, it's a dedicated fund for, for for what it sounds like. And, you know, speaking as you know, one of the um, openly queer uh, legislators in, in the state legislature, that, you know, that means a lot, not just to me, but also to the um, to the community. Uh, child care is uh to be honest, bittersweet. It is definitely um, a historic investment, um, although the bar was low for for how much money we invest into childcare. Um, it definitely, you know, was was great to to see, you know, so many um, see the influence of you know the Universal Child Care Act and the Universal Child Care Campaign that we've been doing over the past. Um, several months to a year in in terms of uh, raising. Uh, um, 
raising the uh, income threshold, raising uh, reimbursement levels to, to localities, um, you know, fighting for uh, school-aged children. Um, but, you know, also sad things to see, um, such as, you know, excluding undocumented children, um, not actually meeting the, the desperate need of a, of a um, sector that's really in, in free fall. And um, also, I think not having an accurate model, to be honest, I, you know, in, in negotiations with the governor, I, I think she assumed that the participation rate would be much lower than it than I'm expecting it to be. And I'm very worried that we will be telling people that they are now eligible for child care and they will find that there is actually no money for them to get child care. Mm. So, yeah, I wanted to I mean, I wanted to ask you about that. When you explain to people what got done here, how do you capture sort of what's going to become available that wasn't or what this really accomplishes in terms of an expansion of childcare in New York. I was sort of expecting when the governor held her press conference announcing an agreement with the legislature that she was going to kind of lead with childcare because it was such a big issue, something she's focused on, something she obviously cares about. Um, but she didn't. And and there were reasons, obviously, for her to talk about middle class tax cuts and the gas holiday and some of these other things that obviously apply to a wide constituency, constituency but also clearly uh, constituencies that the governor is very concerned about it as she seeks election. Um, but it doesn't seem like I mean, are we how big of an expansion of child care are we talking here? Can we can we help people understand the sort of the degree that you're saying, even if it isn't going to help capture everybody who may uh, needed and wanted. How, how big of an expansion are we talking here? Sure. The um, the sector is heavily means tested with a lot of jargon, but um, in terms of eligibility for parents, uh, we've raised the subsidized um, income threshold from 200% of the federal property level to 300%, which in more plain language means that previously, if you were a three-family household, like two parents, one kid, you would qualify for subsidized childcare if your total household income was around $45,000 or less. And if you made more, you'd, you'd kind of be on your own. Um, and now um, under this program, a three family household, if you uh, in total make 69,000 around there, um, you will you will qualify for subsidized childcare. Thank you. Senator Salazar, anything else you're, you're particularly happy with about this budget before I get into why you voted no on several of the bills? Any one or two other things you want to quickly highlight that you think are you know important for New Yorkers to know that their state government is, is sort of coming through for them in your in your view? Yeah, I mean, um, one item in the budget that uh, I don't feel, you know, equivocally about is the funding for uh, financially distressed hospitals. So our, uh, particularly our safety net hospitals, public hospitals like Woodhull um, in, in my district, uh, safety net hospitals like Wyckoff, um, we were able to secure about $800 million um, to, to assist those hospitals in particular. Um, so I think that really is a, a victory. Uh, we want to make sure that hospitals that um, are, especially those that um, were facing um, more economic challenges because of the pandemic, um, that that they are able to survive. Um, we also saw a comparable investment in rental assistance, which was really critical. Uh, there are thousands of, of people who either um, were unable to apply for ERAP, for the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, before um, uh, 
the funds, the federal funds were exhausted, um, as well as people who um, continue to to need that assistance who maybe didn't need it earlier in the pandemic, but uh, really need support uh, in order for their rental arrears to be paid. Um, the, those to me are are uh, just really good important victories to help working New Yorkers get by. And you voted no on, on several of the budget bills. Um, what were a couple of the reasons that you were dissatisfied with, with some of the details of the agreement that was reached between the governor and the, and the legislature? Part of um, what I took issue with was process. And, and in part, it was you know, substantive uh, policy disagreements um, uh, Personally, I am generally opposed to including policy in the budget if it doesn't have a fiscal impact to the state. And uh, we spent a lot of time and capacity during this budget process uh, in just the final couple weeks, few weeks on um, a public safety proposal from the governor, this 10 point public safety plan that was really dropped. It was allegedly leaked uh, after budget negotiations had essentially already began, it was leaked only a few weeks ago. Um, and then somehow that, uh, you know, late conversation uh, really became the focus of the state budget. And it held up a lot of other really important um, investments that should have been, you know, uh, I think, ongoing conversations. Um, and additionally, I was opposed to a lot of the substance of, of that plan and, and also um, the parts of the governor's plan that actually made it into the final budget, into the enacted budget, which included um, changes to the bail law that I feel are going to just further criminalize poverty, um, making it so that if someone has a desk appearance ticket, um, an arrest, but a desk appearance ticket, nonetheless, that they have not yet uh, been arraigned for, um, if they are charged with another crime, even what is typically considered a low level offense, something that's not bail eligible uh, on the first arrest, um, such as petty larceny, um, you know, stealing fa fabric softener from CVS, um, if they have an open desk appearance ticket, uh, that second arrest would be bail eligible. Um, that's certainly a problem to me. And, and I think for the communities that that I represent, uh, a lot of people uh, are really struggling. And uh, I don't think that we should be holding people pretrial for what are essentially crimes of poverty. So that that was really disappointing to see um, was also really disappointed to see in in the final couple of weeks of the budget process, the inclusion of this deal for the Buffalo Bills stadium, giving away hundreds of millions of dollars in um, in public funds to a football team that's owned by a billionaire. Um, it's you know, I, I really want to see true economic development in Western New York and certainly am, am never opposed to that. But I, I question that that use of, of public funds, especially, you know, when we're talking about about six hundred million dollars in state funds to build a stadium 
and we're only allocating, say, $350 million for all of public housing, where more than 400,000 people live in, in the city of New York, um, you know, I, I think that really doesn't speak well to our priorities. Senator Brisport, um, anything you want to add to that in terms of your uh, the rationale behind your no votes against uh, a few of the budget bills? Yeah, sure. So in addition to uh, the alpha bill, the big ugly um, section um, of the, the budget, Senator Salazar and I also voted no on the revenue uh, section of the budget. And if I can just speak to you know the, the austerity of our governor and who basically out of the gate said, I'm not raising any new taxes on the wealthy. Um, you know, New York is home to over 100 billionaires who not only got richer during the pandemic, but I think we actually have more billionaires now than we did even last year when we were raising taxes on the rich. And they said they were all going to leave and move to another state, which they did not do. Um, so I think the the the... <laughs> The, the, there's two things that play is the fact that she refused to raise taxes on the rich and then throughout the budget process said, I don't have money for that. You know, I, there's there's no money for for NYCHA. There's no money for there's not enough money for the home care workers. There's not enough money for child care. There's not enough money for the hospitals. There's not enough money for the HAVP program. There's not enough money. There's not enough money. You know, and to me, that's because she refuses to, to tax the rich um, and actually raise the revenue for it. Uh, and then um, on top of that, finding out the last minute after hearing her for weeks say there's not money for this, there's not money for that, discover that there there is money for for the Buffalo Bill Stadium. And there is money for the slush fund that she has on Long Island. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous um, and deceitful. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, I'll I'll let the governor speak for herself. And I've had guests on the show giving giving alternative viewpoints, including, like I said, uh, Minority Leader Rob Ort, uh, who feels like uh, the taxes are way too high in New York already. Um, but we'll we'll leave that tax discussion for another time. Um, let me ask you both this: uh, you you have. Um, some leeway to vote no on these budget bills because your democratic conference is so big and the budget is still going to pass. Right. Um, but that also removes some of your leverage in your vote um, because the conference is so big. And, and generally speaking, you know, there's, there's a few of the more progressive uh, legislators like yourselves and Senator Ramos and Biagi, um, you know, who will wind up voting no, but there's enough of a cushion for the majority leader to reach a deal with the assembly speaker and the governor, and there's going to be enough votes, and there's not a lot of drama really about whether this this will pass. And you can stand up and say, here's why I'm casting a no vote on these specific budget bills, and I'm voting through these others. Um, it doesn't jeopardize the deal, but then also in the process, behind closed doors, it doesn't really give you that much leverage. There was a time when Senator Simka Felder could basically get whatever he wanted because he was the the key vote in getting a budget passed. Um, Senator Salazar, say, say a little bit about sort of that uh, dilemma and that, that almost sort of intra-negotiation sort of political problem that you, you have in a sense that you can vote no and the majority leader can sort of say, I get why. Okay, go ahead and vote no. <laughs> we don't need to really give you anything that you want in order to get your vote. Yeah, well, first I'll say um, this is my fourth state budget since being in the legislature. Um, I'm the second term senator. Um, and I have voted um, in favor of two out of those four budgets. Uh, I don't go into the budget process thinking, 
I am committed to, or, or certainly saying or thinking, I'm committed to voting no um, on, on the budget on principle, regardless. Uh, we go in in good faith. Um, if we add, and of course, the, the one house budgets uh, are never going to be, you know, identical to the enacted budget. But for example, when we were um, putting together our Senate one house budget, that is certainly a budget that I would have been proud to vote for. Uh, however, in, in this budget process in particular, I think that so much was lost um, and what was added included things like this gas tax suspension or gas tax holiday, something that I can't some support um, from an economic justice perspective or from uh, an environmental justice perspective. Uh, when the final budget ends up looking like this, we can't represent our communities well and support it. And I think we we have a responsibility to demonstrate we're not just going to vote for the budget no matter what, because we are, you know, just because we're being strong armed or, um, you know, we we don't want the perfect to be the enemy of the good. Um, so I think, you know, we still have leverage during the, the budget process um, because we we want to be able to to vote for the budget. Um, and in some of the other votes that we cast out of 10 budget bills, there were some that we were able to support, like um, the public protection gover general government bill, uh, for example. So, you know, I think that it's just a, a balance and um, constantly trying to determine uh, what what our sort of red lines are, what we're willing to um, accept in order to uh, gain some some victories in the budget. Is there any effort, either either of you, you know, is there any effort to take yourselves, as I said, some of the other more, you know, you're the two uh, in the in the state senate who are the socialist, uh, uh, you know, member official members of the Democratic Socialists, um, but you have other, you know, very progressive members who who again, like I said, vote with you um, at times, like Senator Ramos, Biagi, um, and others. Is there any effort to sort of create a, you know, a progressive caucus of sorts to create more leverage on that? I mean, you know, it, it seems like you're pretty close to the number you would need to sort of gather together and say, hold on a second. We are not going to come along with this unless we get a little more um, of what we want here. Yeah, I think it's really it's on an ongoing basis um, rather than being like a, a formal caucus. Um particularly because some of the most progressive members now actually represent really different parts of the state, um, members upstate who consistently vote um, with the way that we do um, and talk. We, we speak to each other um, about our votes uh, and consult with one another um, and are ideologically aligned. Um, but we at the same time you know, represent different regions of the state. And so it's really sort of on a, a case by case basis. Um, I think that that we're organizing together. Um, but I have seen how powerful it can be 
in the state budget in terms of, um, and especially actually in the process of forming our, our one house budgets, the state budget process overall is, is as you know, um, it's pretty opaque and legislators don't have the same power that we do, um, you know, throughout the, the legislative process. Um, when it comes to, you know, negotiating regular, regular legislation, I guess, outside of the budget. Um, but I, I also think that there's a trend um, in 2020. We obviously grew from a Democratic majority to a supermajority. And um, a lot of the members who who won seats and who flipped districts are really progressive members. And uh, I think certainly. Um, in, in 2022, we can expect to, to see some more of that. Um, I only have a couple more minutes with you, so I want to try to sneak in a couple more quick things with State Senators Jabari Brisport and Julia Salazar of Brooklyn. Uh, Senator Brisport, is there one thing you could name for people that the state Senate really wanted, but the assembly and the governor sort of stood in the way here? It seems to be, and Senator Salazar was kind of getting at this, that, you know, the, the Senate, um, and we've we've actually reported on this a bit at Gotham Gazette, that the Senate is sometimes ready to move ahead um, in, in a more progressive direction at times than the Assembly and the governor, whether it's been this governor or the previous governor. Um, anything you want to name for people that was, you know, a pretty big state Senate Democratic um, priority, but, um, you know, the other parties weren't really willing to agree on in this budget? Yeah, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about childcare again, because uh, in the uh, the Senate One House, um, our proposal pretty closely aligned with the Universal Child Care Act, which, you know, with the goal of moving child care to something that's non-means tested akin to our public school system, where when you enroll your kid, no one checks when you're working or if you're working or your documentation status. So we actually removed um, those those forms of means testing in the Senate One House um, to expand eligibility, you know, for <clears throat> for families, whether or not, you know, they were either of those, right, whether they're working, whether, you know, the, the documentation, um, which were... I'm not in the proposals from the governor or the assembly. Um, and, you know, we, we did a, a, a tiny bit, you know, we removed a tiny bit of work requirement, basically saying that, you know, if you're in college, you don't need to prove you're working to get childcare, which is a no brainer. Um, many of these are, but um, could obviously go a, a lot further. Okay. Um, two top priorities from each of you for this legislative session. Uh, we can't get into all the details, but what are, what are two things that you're really hoping that the, um, you know, the legislature will uh, get done in these next couple of months. Uh, Senator Brisport, what are what are two things that you're really uh, fighting for and hopeful about? I was surprised. I don't know if this is on your list, but I was a little surprised, again, going back to this leverage and negotiation question that the clean that a version of the Clean Slate Act was not in the budget deal, especially as some of the you know changes were made to the bail law. Um, any particular things that you're most focused on trying to get done in this legislative session? Yeah, I'm definitely all in on, on Senator Salazar's bill for, for good cause eviction. Um, and uh, I'm also pushing a bill uh, to divest the state teachers fund from fossil fuels. Okay. Senator Salazar, a couple of priorities. Yeah, um, certainly good cause eviction bill is my top priority um, for, for post-budget uh, clean slate. Uh, we came really close to passing Clean Slate 
last year and it's extremely popular. I really want to see it become law. Uh, parole justice as well, um, trying to uh, the, the elder parole bill, fair and timely parole. Um, uh, that's really important to me. Um, and additionally, on the note of, um, you know, an issue where we saw very strong support in the Senate and um, a, a little bit less um, from the governor and the assembly and the budget that I still think is really critical for us to act on is the All Electric Buildings Act, essentially a, a gas ban on um, on new buildings. Uh, you know, the the um, our our buildings are one of the biggest generators of um, of fossil fuel pollution um, of of CO two of greenhouse gases. Um, and so I think it's really important that we pass the All Electric Buildings Act. And um, we don't have time to discuss Clean Slater good cause, but people can look those up. And there's obviously lots of coverage out there. Those lastly, um, now that we're at a budget season, now that the lieutenant governor has sadly um, resigned from office and may or may not wind up still being on the ballot. Um, should we be expecting both of you soon to be jumping into the fray for the Jumani Williams, Anna Maria Archila uh uh, candidates for governor and lieutenant governor. Want me to say that one? Look, it's, anything could happen then. It's New York. So it's, it's whatever you imagine it, it can happen. Yeah. <laughs> you can, yeah. You, you can I feel mean, feel free to preview, preview endorsements here and then, and then make it official when the time comes. Yeah. I know that um, neither of us has endorsed yet for um, lieutenant governor or, or for governor. Um, but uh, well, to speak for myself, uh, certainly I'm considering it, especially in, in light of um, yesterday's news. I think it's it's important for for us to um, demonstrate our our values and and where we're aligned um, and support a strong candidate for lieutenant governor in particular. Anything you want to add to that, Senator Bridgeport, before we say goodbye? I mean, I don't, I don't think I plan to get involved in the governor's race. <laughs> okay. Or the lieutenant governor's race. I, just, I put a period on what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. State Senators Jabari Brisport and uh, Julius Salazar, thank you very much for the time. Uh, be safe. Be well. Uh, appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Appreciate it, Ben. Thank you. Thank you, Ben.